Oh, has the show made me cry, though? <laughs> oh, I thought because we already covered, like... <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it has. How hard, Megan? What was the worst part? <laughs> A lake in my cleavage was pretty bad. <laughs> Welcome back to the Word of the Witnesses, our 12 Monkeys Rewatch podcast. As we remind you every week, this is specifically a rewatch podcast. If you have not completed the show, you will be disappointed at the amount of spoilers. If you are fine being spoiled, I mean, come along, I guess. I don't know what's wrong with you. (laughs) (laughs) I love how you find a new way to do the spoilers disclaimer every time. Well, I mean, if I'm not going to do the intro differently, we might as well just pop the same one in there. (laughs) If you're going to make me talk, I'm going to come up with words. (laughs) Um, So this is one of your hosts, Beep. You can find me on Twitter at Beepsplain. And I am joined, as always, by the amazing Cece. Oh, that was really nice. Um, You can find me at A Capital Check. And hi, I'm Megan, and I'm the guest host. Is this what I say? <laughs> I mean, I guess. We just stopped talking, so that was weird. <laughs> I thought you were going to introduce her. I thought you were going to. All right, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. We'll delete yeah, all of that. No, it's, it. fine. it's fine. This is fine. This is this it goes on with my abrupt orientation into podcasting. Uh, <laughs> it's her first one. It's my we, first one. And we messed up the introduction, <laughs> damn it. We got to do it right. It makes her feel comfortable. It's it fine. makes me feel comfortable. I'm laughing. Welcome okay. to the clusterfuck. Yeah. <laughs> Look. It adds an air of authenticity, all right? (laughs) Megan! Hi, hello. Um, You can find me on Twitter at Megan, M-E-A-G-A-N, underscore goes wine. And that is where I basically uh, bullshit all day on my Twitter account, so... Yeah. A lot of really, really smart thoughts about TV. Oh, thank you. And angry ones sometimes. (laughs) And smart ones. And lots of flailing. angry is smart. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Anger is important. Lots of feelings, lots of lots of really good thoughts, and lots of re- also really good thoughts about writing. Oh, I just enjoy you. it in general, Megan. Yeah. Um, and just tell us a little about yourself. Where, where are you recording from? I am recording from St. Louis, Missouri. Um, I uh, Fandom-wise, I participate by writing fanfic. I tweet my thoughts. And I used to write... TV reviews before I got into grad school, and now I'm in grad school for counseling, for mental health counseling. All right. Sorry. Are you ready to enter our gauntlet? Yes, I am. I am (laughs) so ready. And some of you, actually, this is not the first time you're hearing Megan. Megan sent in a recording that might have made you cry on our um, favorite moments uh, mini pod. Um, And yours was the one about Cassie and her mom in season three. Yeah, so welcome back. Oh my so, God. yeah, I know. <laughs> we haven't even gotten into it yet. No. Um, 
I think I'm coming back for that episode and I might just sit like and sob silently through it. (laughs) Anytime there's like serious parent and child feels like this one. (laughs) Oh my God. We're just going to, we're going to bring you back. Yeah. Um, At some point we should just like, I should just do a super cut of like all the crying and just release it (laughs) as one podcast. And then right after that, I'll do a laughing supercut. Yes. You know, just. Yes. You know, and like, you know how earlier you tumped your mic? I just, um, about three minutes ago, kicked out my earphones. There should be like a a bloopers reel. Nice fun. (laughs) I'm just looking right. Like, yeah, okay, we are recording. Yes, we are. Okay. This is gold. So Megan, why yes. do why do you love Twelve Monkeys? I love Twelve Monkeys for just so many reasons. Um, the writing is so solid, so tight. Um, the characters are just incredible. Like they're so you know for for such an almost avant garde kind of concept. You know, super highbrow. The characters just feel so real and they feel so layered and they, you just connect. Like I connect to Deacon, I connect to Jennifer, to Jones, you know, to even Lasky. You know, I would totally be the person who's like, yeah, no, I didn't see a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Do what you gotta do, Jennifer. Um, but one thing that struck me when I was, um, rewatching Paradox was, how much I really enjoy the mystical side of it. Um, the part that's just really mysterious and it feels tangible, like the science of it and like their solutions to their problems feel tangible. They feel in the world. They don't break you out of the world, but there's still this like mysticism to what they're talking about. This mystery just And I just really appreciate it. I don't feel like a lot of shows really go there with questions that aren't really totally answerable, um, that leave you in the discomfort of, you know, all these parent relationships that we're talking about, like, they're not comfortable, you know, Mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of death, there's a lot of loss. Um, There's a lot of like, time will take what it's owed for all of them. And it doesn't try to make you feel better about that. It just tries to like humanize it. And that's just what I really appreciate about the show. It just feels very human, very relatable. Yeah, I mean, the only other show, it basically it's like 12 Monkeys and The Leftovers. Right. You know? Yeah. That are the two. So just also speaking of sobbing. Right. <laughs> Brokenly at home. Um, but those are the only two shows I can think of that get into like really gray there is no answer right and and that the freedom is becoming okay with that and then choosing to like love people anyway mm-hmm. you know um mm-hmm. and the other only other show and it's funny to me because 12 monkeys and the leftovers are so like i don't want to say highbrow because i don't mean elitist but like high concept Right? Like, mm-hmm. the Leftovers is basically absurdist. <laughs> and mm-hmm. 12 Monkeys is super highly thematic on all the levels. And yet they still are able to anchor you in these just really complex emotional moments and give you this catharsis that you didn't even know you needed. Right? Like, with mm-hmm. 12 Monkeys, when you get to the finale, I mean, I'm just, like, sobbing. Like, there's, like, lakes of tears in my cleavage. <laughs> I'm just, like, <laughs> sobbing. Because it was this catharsis of, like, not even just the show, but, like, I'm like, my life! 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, and the other brilliant thing about 12 Monkeys is it provides those moments through the series. It doesn't wait till the finale. You know, Paradox has a lot of really wrenching moments. Um, Blood Washed Away, Thief, you know, uh, the ending to season two, the ending to season three, like one minute more <laughs> or one moment more, like, oh my God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just really, you know, in Paradox, there's a part of Paradox where Jones is talking to her father, yeah. right? And they're talking about love. And I think that you just really see that throughout the show. And I think that, I, I mean, I just really appreciate that. Yeah, there's only two shows that have made me either call my parents or stop like if my one of my kids just did something right like broke something or like do you know like did something Mm -hmm. where you have like your first response and then you stop and then you're like no that's not going to be my response and the leftovers and 12 monkeys are the two that have made me like put something down and focus on what they're saying or you know call my parents or do something that makes you like stop in the moment and try and like focus on the moment that you have with someone instead of all of the noise right that's in that's in life or like as the haunting of hill house said all what the rest is all confetti shut up You right, will like, not. Do <laughs> <laughs> We're off to a terrible crying start. Oh, yeah. But right. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah. And yeah. Uh, One of the right. things that I find fascinating, I, I will, I don't think I've said this on any other part, but it came to me it, when you're talking about wrapping things up or leaving things open or giving that catharsis. Like, I feel like the show earned the right to erase Cole should they have chosen to go that route and Mm -hmm. i would have been okay with it me too and normally you know when you get an ending like that you would just be like this is bullshit but like i felt like at the end they earned the right to do that and the fact that they didn't is just like you know yay flails and like how beautiful and whatever (laughs) shut up (laughs) (laughs) but but beep but beep but but define okay like, I mean, I'm not okay with anything <laughs> ever, so I don't even know what that no, word but I mean, means. I, I mean, like, I would have been it would it wouldn't have it wouldn't have made me like throw something and made me feel a different way about the show. But, I mean, if if it had ended with Cole being erased, but all of them remembering him, yeah, yeah, that's then what I mean. yes, absolutely. But I yeah. still would have been really, 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 really upset. Like, I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't be upset. Yeah. I'm just saying there's other shows that have ended where I was just like, you took the. You know, you you took you a shortcut. Yeah. You just yeah. did it to so that it would have a bad ending. You know what I mean? Or, right. or not a happy ending. Like, that wasn't okay. Like, right. somehow, unhappiness is more real than right. happiness. Right. But at right. the same time, like, I think, you know, in, the, in that few seconds they give you when they fade to black before you kind of open on him at the beach. In those seconds, the first time watching it, I did feel the same. I felt that damn, they earned it. And that mm-hmm. it, it was bittersweet in a really still good, poignant mm-hmm. way because they had done what they had set out to do and it was a job well done. Mm-hmm. And, that, and so had yeah. he. And so had he. He had done what he had set out to do. And the bittersweetness was okay. Like that, I, you know, not to get too personal, but that kind of went along with my life's experience of like, yeah, you know, sometimes things are just bittersweet. But when they give you the happy ending... It's like this just... Don't you dare say it again. <laughs> no, I'm not going to. I was trying to think of like something that doesn't sound super violent, but I was like, 
you know, punched with hope. <laughs> isn't isn't the 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 you know way I want to say this? But like, nope, hope punch is now a thing going through. <laughs> but you know, like you know, how often, especially in 2018, are we like, yeah, sometimes the risk pays off, and it pays off with good. Yeah, I felt I felt like in I mean, I watched it just like right after it aired. I felt Mm -hmm. like July 2018 was right about the time where I just needed a fucking win. (laughs) You know, like, and yes, right. And so I absolutely, as Beep said, and as you guys both said, like that, it was a beautiful before that final like coda, it was a beautiful ending. But there was something about, and I'll be like sort of curious, like as time goes on, but there was just something about this year and the world being terrible. Yeah. That it just, I mean, maybe, maybe that's also one of the reasons, like, because ultimately it's hopeful and that love matters and right. And it's just like, God, we just really need fucking needed that message this year in particular, you know? And that we matter. You know, I think you can get real nihilistic with the news, the state of the world, even with you know, trying to rationalize things in a way that can become real cynical um, about, well, it's just a material world and this is what we have. And sometimes that's really empowering to me. And sometimes that's a little bit disempowering, but 12 monkeys never negates the science, but it still comes back with this huge message. That's bigger than that. That's like, we matter. Love matters. Doing right by people matters. Um, And I don't know. I found that really powerful. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, who's your favorite character? Oh, my God. <laughs> I hate this question <laughs> so much. But you guys know what I'm going to say. Cassie. Mm-hmm. I, um, you know, it's actually really rough. You know, Todd's interview, I was just like fist pumping to Deacon stuff. And I love his journey. And with Jennifer, you know, so, as someone who has experienced mental illness and um, <clears throat> had, you know, problems my entire life. You know, I re- really resonate with her on that level. Um, you know, Jones, Cole, all of them. I love them all. And that even when they're being shitty, I love them. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and yet Cassie to me just, she's someone I just deeply relate to. Um, and I think that she's put through shit. And, you know, I know that we all have talked about she, everyone else sort sort of gains something through their journey. And yet Cassie like loses everything and she keeps going. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's just incredibly powerful to me that she, she keeps going. She fights for, you know, her moment with her mom. She fights for Cole. She fights for Ethan. She fights for Jennifer. She stops the red forest. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, she remakes her life without Cole as one that is satisfying to her. And I think that's really powerful too. It's a testament to how strong she is. And not just strong, like, strong female character, but just, like, she's resilient. And I think that's really hopeful. Yeah, I feel like that gets thrown around so much, strong female character. Right. Yeah, that's um, why I backtracked. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. But I, I love what you – resilient mm-hmm. is is a kind of strength that I think is also really relatable, right? right. Like, in terms of, like – I don't know about you guys. I'm n- I'm never going to kick anyone's ass the way Cassie does. No. But I would like but I, I would like to hope that when I face challenges like right, I mean that you can meet them the right. way that she did. Um and still like be have moments where she says like in season 4 when she's like I'm owed. 
Like, I mean, who hasn't been on their floor after life lotto has hit them a million times being like, this isn't how it was supposed to go, Mm. you know? And I think that you, you get to see that. And I think one reason people find Cassie uncomfortable is because no one wants to admit that they've been on their kitchen floor or in their bathroom or in their bed being like, this wasn't the way, you know, like this wasn't how it was supposed to be. And I'm owed, you know, Mm -hmm. and that they didn't shy away from that, I think makes people uncomfortable. But I find it really valuable and really relatable. Yeah. And she gets like, there's, I mean, even like the last episode before this one in was it, I guess it was in Divine Moon where they were at the bar and she's knocking some scotch back. She's just angry. Angry. Oh, God, I love it. Yeah. And she's angry in season two. And it's Mm -hmm. really interesting hearing about how people reacted to that. Like, maybe women aren't like that a lot on TV. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's a really interesting discussion of like, what makes people characters unlikable, right? Um, There was that article, I don't remember where it was from, that talked about kind of lamenting how women characters are unlikable. And I was just like, okay, well, (laughs) you know, do you mean like anger is unlikable? Like mental illness is unlikable? Like being kind of flint nosed or flinty is unlikable, you know? I don't know. I mean, it's just sure as hell, like how many shows have we watched like The Sopranos or Breaking Bad or right right, where you have like an unlikable man that does shitty things at the center of the drama? Right. Right. Exactly. Um. But I don't think Cassie's unlikable. I think she's relatable, and I think her anger um, is very real, but can make people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, she's – I mean, she's human, right? And she has her own, right, like, yeah. emotional makeup just like other characters do. And I guess mm-hmm. there's something about a woman showing that anger or withholding emotion mm-hmm. um, that makes people uncomfortable. Yeah. Do you have a favorite episode? Oh, yeah. Um, You know, this was really hard. Um, It was funny because my partner came in and they were like, so, you know, what are you going to say about your favorite episode? And I was like, I I like all of them. And he was like, you like all of them? I was like, I know. It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But I would have to say um, for the – besides the finale, which is just like a masterclass finale, I – Oh, God, there's Deglaca, you know, there's demons, there's one minute more, like, oh, my God. But I think for um, sheer kind of ballsiness and the high bar to clear, I think Thief is probably my favorite. Um, they had an incredibly hard task and they pulled it off, you know. Mm-hmm. So with, um, you know, making us not only... You know, introducing Athan is like Gaius Baltar, which is like the best casting decision that, you know, has ever been made. But also, <laughs> like, I, I legitimately squealed. Um, but also just, you know, we had to get introduced to a villain. We had to like him. We had to understand him. And they gave us, um, you know, Eliza, who they not only fully characterized, they made her her own character they showed us why they were in love and then they still went had more time left in the episode to you know do the whole dying over and over again and where you see him going back to cole and you see him going back to cassie and it's just it's a really incredible incredibly difficult to do and they did it 
Definitely. Yeah. Um, so I think you already drew your line in the sand that you yes. think Cassie did stop the countdown. Cassie stopped the countdown. I broke no, I broke no opposition on this point. <laughs> I've listened to the interviews. <laughs> I've heard the arguments. Same and- though. I'm like, feel free to be wrong. I don't care. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm definitely a, yeah, no. If we want to get into my rant about it, we can, but <laughs> just no. I she stopped it and that's that's all there is to it. Would you stop it? Would I stop it? Yes. Um because I don't really feel like that is a version of immortality that I'm attracted to like really at all. Um yeah, you know, things come and things go and That's kind of, you know, the whole thing about the show is like the ending is what makes the thing the thing. And I really agree with that. So. And then did you have a favorite era for um, just aesthetics for costumes? I mean, yeah. (laughs) I love that you guys asked this question Um, (laughs) because it really makes you consider, right, how well done the aesthetics of the show are. Well, yeah. And I feel like, you know, I mean, they don't – I just – it makes you want to like throw stuff that that more – kudos aren't given to them like particularly on the budget and how they particularly in seasons two through four week to week had to like create a new show right like costume wise right and it's really cool you know um i mean i even love like the 70s stuff it's not that Mm -hmm. far of a departure but it's still they did a really good job with the lighting with the sets with the costumes of making you feel like it was the 70s but yeah, my favorite was actually the Victorian era in masks. Masks. And when they're my favorite moment of costume actually is when Cassie is teaching Cole how to dance. And there's this certain shot, and it's kind of a wide shot, and it's from a kind of submissive angle. So it look it's kind of looking up on them. And he's holding her and he has his vest and he has his trousers and she has her like high neck lace um shirt and long skirt and it's just there's just that moment is so striking like the set is and their love is but also what they're wearing like you can um fully believe that they are a couple in the 1890s who are just you know having a little bit of fun before a ball kind of thing Mm -hmm. so i just really love that moment yeah for costumes yeah, no, that's I know the shot that you're talking about because probably because that like gift set. <laughs> oh my like, god, yeah, it's right on Tumblr. <laughs> yes, where everyone's like to slow it down and let us oh just my look god, at those costumes. So the way that like they're looking at each other, but also the lines of the costume are so con- complimentary. I love it. Um. All right. So are we ready to get into this episode? Yes. Oh, has the show made me cry though? <laughs> Oh, I thought because we already covered like yeah, the, no, the it's fine. I cleavage. was like, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, it has. <laughs> How hard, Megan? What was the worst part? A lake in my cleavage was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching the finale in my living room, and I had to move to my basement just so I could cry louder. <laughs> so, <laughs> so no one would come down saying, "Mommy, what's wrong?" <laughs> right. I was like, I don't need my kids waking up at three in the morning, but I really need to like get on my knees and cry it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. All right. Yes. 
Okay, so we're going to do this. I have to be honest with you. I've been a little bit nervous today because I feel like this episode is a freaking masterpiece now. Yes. And I mean, it always was really, really great, but I, I just am feeling a little bit of pressure talking about it. Um, yeah. we, today we are talking about episode 112, Paradox. Stories by Terry Metalis, the teleplay by Richard E. Robbins, and it's directed by Denny Gordon. Um, it's interesting, if you look up Richard Robbins, um, he also wrote some amazing season two episodes. I think um, Emergence, Meltdown, and Resurrection. And he's also been nominated for an Oscar for Best Documentary and won an Emmy um, for Documentary and nominated for others. So obviously, cool. su- yeah, super talented guy. Um, so this Paradox and Brothers are the two episodes that it's like really – when you're trying to tell someone to watch the show, it's difficult. You can't articulate it, right? Because it's like you're going to get to the end and then you're going to realize that there's these two episodes, one in season one and one in season three, that you didn't really understand what was going on and you won't until the end. Right. Um, yeah, and- most of my notes have like a line of dialogue or a note and then it says foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or I just have like, ah, in all yeah. caps. <laughs> or just plaintive, like just Hannah yelling Hannah right. a lot. Um, but I think, you know, it reminds me as I was watching this, I was thinking of that um, quote that we talked about in the last pod of Gen- old Jennifer in Divine mm-hmm. Move where she says, mothers, daughters, fathers out of order. Yeah. And that, you know, um, certainly was foreshadowing this episode, except that you didn't really understand that it was foreshadowing it until you watched One Minute More (laughs) in season four. Um, So we're just going to talk about Jones in 2043 first. Um, And we open the episode with Adler freaking out about whether Cole's made it to 2015 and Jones is pretty calm and smoking a cigarette because she knows that he has. (laughs) Um, But... What I love about it is you've got Jones being like putting her like super scientist like mask on being like, what you know, what are even memories? They're just neurons firing and human brain giving the meaning. (laughs) But I love it because she's like, we're the ones that are abandoned. And it's because this is the first time we're seeing Katerina Jones who doesn't know, doesn't have a single clue about what's going to happen next. Yeah. And we don't know that at the beginning of this episode. But when you go back and rewatch, you're like, oh, she's like this because up until this moment, she knew a certain amount, right? Like she had that card from the garage in Philly in that box, right, with Hannah. So I love that it's like this first time we're getting Jones who's a little bit at sea because she really doesn't know what's going to happen next. Um, And I think it's interesting that she immediately reverts back to like, well, this is just science, right? Like this is just – this is just how things are. And, you know, and I just think that's interesting. That's her default. But then so quickly later, we see her, you know, in her room crying over her, you know, Hannah blanket. Right. right. And I mean, it's also it's interesting, because it ties together with the Jones that we see in 2015, talking to her father, right. And she's like, I'm not good with people, right. And it's just like, I'm interested in it for the scientific inquiry. And then that's, that's all that I'm focused on. And I don't have any time for love or other things that I can't predict. It's science. Um, Right. That's what she holds on to. Um, Do we have, um, you know, she then kind of get like girds her loins and is like, okay, we're going to go back to the drawing board with the investigation. Um, and it kind of leads everybody to get back on task. And 
the key thing just in setting up going into the season finale, but now also just thinking about season two, is what I remember being like, who the heck are these blue guys outside? <laughs> <laughs> with Deacon, like who, like I don't, it's like the Blue Man group. Like I think there were like jokes about that, but um, it's amazing now to think. I mean, and you can't like focus on their faces, but like in that group of messengers, which were teased by Oliver Peters um two episodes ago, you have um Mantis. Right. Mm-hmm. And you have Charlie from Blood Washed Away. Mm-hmm. Um, and just thinking of all of the, of the, messengers that we're going to meet throughout season two who are in that group about to break into the facility and it just ends like that storyline ends with just this like phenomenal villain shot of deacon with his cigar just being like yep i would love to help you break into that place it would be my pleasure it's just i can't believe i haven't gifted that yet it would be my pleasure oh my gosh it's like perfect yep it's a great moment i also think the you know like we talked about the foreshadowing um i don't want to jump ahead but just the foreshadowing of like the messengers and then cole in this episode and then you know what they end up the messengers goal in season two is and how like cole is already set apart because of anyway the end like the episode is called paradox right it's going to be the messenger's job (laughs) that's their job all through season two and yet they get destroyed when they try to paradox or when you know, they paradox the primaries and, you know, Cole can withstand it, which is just interesting that they're already planting all of that always, right? They're always planting something that you can look back and go like, oh my God. <laughs> like, why is he different? Why right? is he and different? You think, and you think it's because he's the chosen one. Right. <laughs> yep. So are we ready to, are we ready to see Dr. Katarina Jones in 2015? Yeah, hot stuff. <laughs> Jones is a fox. Such a fox. <laughs> oh my God. She's wearing, I had paused it and rewound to confirm that she's wearing black leather pants at one yeah. point in this episode. It's unbelievable. And the like, hair. Oh my oh God. My God. Swagger. Yeah. And she's like, I love it because it's like, she's still clipped and closed off and, and just. I mean, the essence of Jones is definitely there, right? Like when she's like, okay, yeah, so I met you, but I'm going to need a blood sample. And Cole's like, well, you're still Jones, right? So like the essence is absolutely there. But she's like a little bit flirty. Yeah. um, And just kind of, yeah, like there's like a swagger. um, She's very perceptive, right? She picks up really quickly on like what's going on with – I mean, not only just that Cassie's gun isn't real, but also just perceptive about human emotions. but yeah, so the scene that opens up with her at the restaurant with her father, um, I thought that that the song that was playing, I thought the voice was familiar, and I looked it up, and it's Kelsey Carter. Oh my um, God, really? <laughs> I know, I don't mean to make everyone cry. Uh. Um, but it's a song of hers called Children of My Hometown. Um, and for those of you guys that are um, listening, Kelsey Carter wrote a song that we will see in one of the 1950 scenes, mm-hmm. but you probably now associate her voice with um, that Don't You Forget About Me cover from the end of Demons. So I don't know if that's a total of three songs that they use from her um, in the series, but this is the first one that's playing in the background. 
Um, so the, it's, I love this, I love this conversation because it establishes, like, it does so much on so many levels. Like, it's letting us know a lot of factual information. Jones has medical training. That's going to be important not only for saving Jones, but also in the season finale for saving Cassie. Um, it lets us know sort of like a little bit of background, um, fascinating background, like t- giving us a little bit more breadcrumbs about Elliot, um, that she was only married for six days. Um, and the way she just – her father's trying to find out what happened with Elliot and the way she just closes it down, like, and she just refuses to answer his questions. Um, it's so interesting now that we know sort of what she's grappling with, that she's pregnant, that she doesn't want to have the baby, that that's ultimately the rift between her and Elliot. Um, right. It's just interesting, like, noticing all those silences um, in that right. scene. Um, so I love the, I'm not good with people and her father saying, if you'd only try. Right. Because, you know, you know, what the thing is, is like Jones does love quite a bit, you know, like her. And it's interesting that that's kind of her insecurity is her ability to connect and to love people. It's just interesting. Yeah. And that's also like her, like her journey, right? Right. Like at the very end of this series, she's going to love a lot of people very fiercely. Um, Right. Enough to like change the basically the cosmos to you know to save her grandson (laughs) right and i think it's so how did you guys take so she's discussing the potential of her research um and she says our bodies were built to die Mm -hmm. and it's it, it, it seems like her father is the one that plants the idea like basically, what if what if your research could change that? Mm-hmm. Um, is that how you guys? Which it's kind of interesting, like going back and thinking about it, because it's obviously not, you know, what she ultimately does with it. I don't think is what her father is trying to convince her to do. Um, Maybe he's a Red Forest proponent. <laughs> <laughs> I love that actor. That actor like pops up he's all great. the time. He's so sweet. Yeah, I feel like I've seen him in a ton of movies um, and lots of different things, but I can't place it. But he's he's just so wonderful. And when he's like, I love you, I'm like, oh, my God, just hug your dad, Jones. Mm-hmm. Say I love <laughs> you back, right? Um, but um, I think – the the their exchange that I think you were talking about before Megan is um her father says love can't be calculated or predicted and Joan says which is why I have no use for it and her father says it's the heart not the mind that sustains us mm-hmm. which is really beautiful writing yes um, it is it's such great thematic work I love it just love it yeah um but it's also Joan's like love drives Jones to do both really horrible things mm-hmm. and really selfless like wonderful things um and it's just kind of interesting how this conversation that she's having with her father we don't know is going on while she's pregnant and that child is the one that's going to drive her to do so many of the things that she does so there's just so many layers to think about while they're having that conversation um the other interesting thing is that beyond um jones's dad and her and then Hannah and Elliot, there aren't really many um, dad-daughter pairings. You know what I mean? Like, there's some father-son, or not father, mother-son stuff with Ethan and Cassie. But a lot of it is mother-daughter and father-son, right? Mm, yeah. And so it's kind of interesting that they, I just noted it that I was like, yeah, the only other one that's really dad-daughter is Elliot and Hannah. 
So Yeah. And they're all so brief. And they're all so brief. Right, because we have Whitley and his father, we have Ramsey and his son. You're right. It's all same yeah. gender. And a lot of the a lot of the eighth and witness stuff is with Cole, right? Like some of it's with Cassie. And we can get into that more like I mean, obviously in season three, but like with the pregnancy and the brief moments when he like, you know, they're hunkered down and getting shot at and stuff. But it's interesting that a lot of that is the father-daughter thing is just kind of not something the show does a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I guess, you know what? You know what? I'm wrong. I'm wrong because they have positive examples of it. And then there's Jennifer and her dad. Oh, right. Yeah. Like I was just there's like, no I reason had, why we blocked that one out. <laughs> I was like, I had externalized it. And then as I was talking, I was like, no, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> fathers and daughter. Fathers put daughters in boxes. Right. <laughs> except, right. except for Jones's dad and Elliot. Yeah. 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 Oh, man, now there's even more things to think about. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we that takes us to um Jones going to her house. It cracks me up because she calls it Astoria. Mm-hmm. And my mom went to high school in Astoria <laughs> in oh. Queens. So the pronunciation <laughs> cracked me up. It was so adorable. Um, so she pulls up to her house and uh Cassie's outside waiting with a gun, which is so I guess when I think about this episode, it's crazy that this is how Cassie and Jones meet. Yeah. And their their relationship is one that – I mean, it's interesting even like if you think about their goodbye um, at the end, of, like in the series finale, they have – they are – they are able to be very blunt and truthful with one another, but it, I wouldn't say they ac- they ever actually get c- close. No, I agree. You know? Um, and it's interesting that it starts off – I mean, there's a lot of relationships on this show that start off a contentious way, right? Like, I mean, even Cassie says to Cole, like, I convinced her the way you convinced me, like, with a gun and then the truth, right? But, like – um, I just think it's it's so crazy to think about, like, this is how they meet. And then after this day, the next time they're going to come face to face is when Cassie is sent through the time machine to 2043 in the season finale. That's crazy. Right? Oh, yeah. And, right? And Jones, the last time they saw each other, for, for Cassie, it will have been just a few days. But for Jones, it will have been decades. Um, And she's showing up. And she's exactly the same. Like, it's kind of crazy when you stop and, like, think about it, like, from when they're going to be meeting at the end of the next episode. So you always um, get the idea that, like, I remember when I watch, I've always gotten the impression that they respect each other and they admire each other. But it's not like they don't like each other. But I think that they're very aware of their places and, like, the web of what's happening. Right? Like, Jones has committed her own quote-unquote sins and Cassie puts things in motion right Mm -hmm. like for a while she gives birth to the witness Mm -hmm. who for a while they thought that was like the villain and then she goes to bat for him essentially and that puts them at odds and so while they respect each other I don't know it's interesting that you can kind of see the seeds of that all through the show it's not like they ever have a major relationship breakdown it's just there's an uneasiness between them that I find, I find interesting that they don't feel they have to ultimately resolve it, right? And yeah. and it's, I mean, on uh, it's also writers that know their characters so well that they they you know like think about that series finale on another show, you would have had a very different goodbye between Jones right. and Cassie, 
Some tears, but, some like, I always loved you kind of thing. Exactly. Or some sort of, right, like, let's put a bow on it, right? right. And like, let's wrap it up. But instead, it was just this like mutual look of like, there was so much that wasn't said. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just felt perfect for them. Right. Um, every all of those farewells were just like so well calibrated, like to each character relationship. Um, but yeah, so it's um, what I also love about this whole exchange, other than the like my you know uh, my knife is real, unlike your gun, and the whole <laughs> like punchline that's like leading up to it is I love how I, I love watching this. I mean character arc with Cassie. So she's now at a point where she is willing to like fucking fly to New York with a fake gun, hold it in a stranger's face and try and force them to like convince them that they invented time travel and try and force them back to Baltimore with her. But it's also totally like this false bravado. And when when Aaron's calling her, she's like, shit, shit, shit. Like, like this is not going according to plan, like at all, right? This is not the stone cold Cassie yet that we will come to know in season two. They give this her is- a dry run. <laughs> <laughs> right. It doesn't go so well. And like ultimately what works is it appealing to Jones saying like to Jones emotions right like my first of all it's giving her proof of that her at that time scientific theory is true and like what could be more like enticing to a scientist right particularly with one with the ego of Jones like how could you not want to find out um, but she also appeals to her emotion. Um, and, and like the line, my friend, your friend talking about Cole, I'm just like, oh my God. It's like the father of your child and her grandson. <laughs> like, if there's ever been like a more understated. <laughs> uh, the like thing I, that's yeah. funny about that to me is, I mean, and I guess they did it on purpose as like a character thing. Cause like Cassie could have easily gotten a gun. Like yeah. once she got to New York, it's not because he's like, "Didn't you fly?" And it's like, "There's guns there too." It's not, yeah, but that I big of a deal. But I, honestly, if Ca- all right, but if Cassie is like, if I, if if I had to fly to New York and then I had to go buy a gun, I, I, I don't. I wouldn't like you can't go to Walmart in New York. So like I get like you know to buy a gun. So like I honestly probably would bring the toy gun too. <laughs> I'm like not that stone cold. I probably would have made the same move as Cassie. Um, I mean it's fair. I really do think it's character more than plot in that case. It's just, it's just funny. Right. No, no, totally. Um so that you know she had to go get that, right? It's not like <laughs> toy that was just sitting around. <laughs> It's a really realistic looking toy gun, too. It's so huge, though. She looks like an anime character. She's like tiny little Cassie with this like huge ass, like, I don't even know. I'm from Texas. I don't know guns. <laughs> Nothing about that statement makes sense. I know. That's why I wanted this. We're talking about paradox. So, <laughs> this huge gun. And I was like, Cassie, put that down. <laughs> But also, like, when Jones brought out that knife, I also had, like, zero confidence that she was going to do anything no, with that No, it was knife. a tiny knife. It was hilarious. Like, the <laughs> like two of them, I was like, knife. guys, just put 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 your fake weapons down. <laughs> just have a Use conversation. Use your words. <laughs> 
Um, before we jump into like the feel spiral, um, where we just yell Hannah for the rest of the three hours of this podcast, <laughs> um, I wanted to talk really quickly. This is, we are, this is the full descent of Aaron Marker. Um, and the, I think it's a really interesting scene he has when he wakes up Cole and Cole has that moment where he basically almost grabs Aaron by the throat. I I love that like attention to detail and kind of world building that like somebody coming from the apocalypse and somebody shaking them to like to wake up is going to have a very different reaction than like you or I would have. It's a great Um, moment of continuity. Yeah. And I wonder if it also goes to like Aaron thinking about what, what they need to prepare for. Yeah. Right? Like thinking totally. that this is inevitable. Um and but I thought it was now okay. When Cole starts convulsing and Aaron moves to help him and then kind of steps back. And then when it seems like Cole has stopped moving and and maybe is like his heart has stopped and he's dead, he smiles, right? Yeah. I picked up on that. So he's doing like, a little like, well if if you know, he was gone, everything it. would be easier. I mean, <laughs> right? right? I was like, is this his like Walter White moment? Like, do you know what I'm talking yes. about? Yes. God, I fucking hate Walter White. <laughs> All right. So like where he walks in on a character, right? Um, And he can't help. And he definitely hesitates. And then it's like, he's like, damn it. And then he calls Cassie yes, to help. But totally. he definitely thinks about it, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. I did I so you guys all saw that smile too. Yeah. I didn't want all right. Okay, fair enough. I kind of even um, just like, you know, if if uh life <laughs> almost an inverse of life finds a way, right? Like, well, <laughs> if this is just gonna be what it is, then who am I to stand in the way of nature? <laughs> right. Um Especially I because every time this guy shows up, the world is like completely turned upside down. Yeah. I mean yeah. I can understand him from that standpoint. I really yeah. can. I don't hate him at all. You know, there are other. Oh, I do. Oh, you do. <laughs> See, I don't. I understand. I kind of understand his patheticness. I guess. <laughs> and dude, if you're Aaron, if you're Aaron, okay. So, generally speaking, this episode is r- like ridiculous with the amped up Cassie and Cole, yeah. like hands all over each other, and they're doing this like in front of Aaron Marker's salad. Like, the whole episode. Yes. It's <laughs> I like, mean, it's like, I feel so bad for the dude, right? Like, Cassie's, like, got her hands on Cole's chest, and she's, like, fixing his hair and helping him to the bed. And, and like, they're talking in quiet whispers. And it's like, dude, Aaron is still in the room, right? Like, oh, I, I well, did. that's I, Aaron's problem. <laughs> <laughs> he could leave anytime he wants. Well, he does, and it's not good when he does, Beep. That's true. <laughs> but... I do love, like, I've, I've called it, like, it's happened before, but they have this, like, on that little, like, kitchenette set. They've had kind of this, like, running, um, somebody says something significant and then somebody walks through the door like it's a sitcom. Um, and this time it's Aaron and Cole talking at the kitchen table. Um, and then Aaron says, you save the people that you love. That's what matters, right? And then the door opens and Cassie walks in. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, that's true for both of them. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, we have alluded to this before. I think the one, Sort of like, I understand it. I understand his point of view. But to me, Aaron Marker's like greatest sin, other than like 
agreeing to a chain of events that gets Cole's father killed, right? And like basically cutting his losses and being like, I'm not going to help try and save the world. It's that he totally usurps or tries to usurp Cassie's agency Mm -hmm. and make that choice for her. Which is one more of 300,476 reasons why Cassie stopped the countdown. Because she doesn't do that. Nope. Thank Correct. you. Correct. To, to, to other people, you mean. Right. right. She right. doesn't steal people's agency. Right. Um, but when you're when they're outside and the game that like the game I like to play now in this episode is anytime you have that long shot from across the street when they've stepped outside the front of the bookstore. Why I hello, like to, Hannah. Yes. <laughs> I like to pretend that's Hannah's point of view. <laughs> Hannah's in the alley you are going a like feels monster. What? <laughs> I can yeah. never watch this the same way. Every time there's multiple there's multiple no, well, we haven't even gotten to the one where Cassie and Matthew are talking outside. That's right, true. Um, but I just like to picture Hannah being like, oh, girl, I- I'm glad you dumped this boyfriend. Um, but he says, um, like, while you're out saving Cole and saving the world, someone has to figure out how to save you. And it's like, of all the things to say to a woman, like, oh, man, fuck off. <laughs> it's not a good, yeah. not a good thing to say. I don't care who you're saying it to, to be frank. I just- yeah. But like, from like he a- just does not get what's going on. To me, that's like Aaron's like biggest flaw. He's so like he has such tunnel vision. He doesn't even ever go through you know the one versus seven billion. He like, he does not ever seem to understand the stakes. I think he does. I mean, he turns his whole life upside down to help. I think he just comes to the conclusion, and he's actually, by the way, correct that nothing they do is going to stop it, and he's actually right. Right, like. I mean, there's nothing in their current loop that they're in that is ever going to stop the the outbreak of the plague. Yeah, yeah but don't you try that. anyway? <laughs> Who wants to live in a bunker with somebody for like 50 years? I mean, that's what Project Spirit is. Well, at least they have nice tablecloths. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, that's what our heroes are doing, right? They're like living in a bunker, but right. Um, I love the, the scene with Olivia, other than her badass, like, leather dress, um, is her manipulation of Aaron. And we talked a little bit, of, uh, like, more in more depth last time, how she just always knows the right thing to say. Yeah, it's so easy for her to manipulate him. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's not even a challenge. Right. It's almost like a seduction. Yeah. Like the way that she talks to him. But it's interesting because he still has the presence of like, he's not fooling himself and that he's doing it, but he knows that it's wrong. Yeah. Um, and he says that out loud. Um, and then obviously like this all culminates with him trying to physically force Cassie in the car and Cassie like punt, like what it's just like sharp elbow to the nose. Um, and that's the, uh, that's the, uh, I don't even know if they had a ship name, but that's the Cassie and Aaron breakup. I think mm. that, you know, like kind of like we mentioned earlier, you do see like the seeds of harder Cassie developing here, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's again like the dry run, but you kind of see where it's all coming from in a way. And I think Beep touched on it too, where it's the agency issue, right? Like when Cassie decides in season two that like, no, the way is like with Deacon. Right. Well, she's constant all season two. It's almost like, I mean, it's interesting if you think about her experience with Aaron. And then when Cole is trying to say, 
in the beginning of season two, look, I know what I I made yeah. you what you are. And she's like, nope. She's like, shut <laughs> the fuck up, dude. <laughs> like, I'm not, nope, nope. Like, I'm no one's mistake. And you know, in a way, like, where he's like, I'm so sorry. Like, I did this to you. It's because you know me. And she's just like, don't do this. Like, you know, again, like Beep said, and I agree, it's another point in the column of she shut down the Red Forest. It's the agency issue. She never wanted people to try and, like, take her decisions from her. Like, she wanted them. They were part of her. Mm-hmm. Right. And she what, says it Can constantly. I say, though, that the Olivia conversation, like, squicks me out real bad. Oh, because she says that word that I, I it, nobody can ever say your seed and it not be really Ugh, fucking creepy. Yeah. Like, the fact <laughs> that he, I, I think the fact that he was manipulated by that little speech yeah. Uh, is like another point against Aaron for me. That's like, a he fair just, point. That's fair. It's so gross. It's like so, I don't even know what to call it because it's not just like, you know, machismo. Like what, I don't know what it is, but it's just so like arrogant or whatever. Like To me, it's kind know, of desperate, ugh. right? Like he's in the point where he wants to be manipulated. He wants to be, to have another way. Like he's, right, and he's done saying, with right, and he's saying it's wrong, and she's like, "Well, that's that's only if you're using a moral framework. You're doing something primal, so that God. like absolves you yeah. of right and wrong." Oh man, that's so interesting. They're so Ooh. layered, but I completely agree. Like it's so gross. He wants to be seduced by it. Yeah. Right. And if you just are like, look, this is going to be a kill or be killed world, and like animals, we're just taking care of. You know, like, I mean, she gets into like the passing on your genetic, like, uh, that that part is gross. But like, what she's tr- saying, it like, it's at the most basic level is, if it's a kill or b- kill kill or be killed world, then resorting to your primal instinct, that's not um, that's not a choice that you should feel is is like a quote unquote wrong one, right? Because right. right and wrong is out the window. Right. Um, the mythology, like, and I, I mean what I do is read too much into things. But like I did think when they were talking about <laughs> why we love you. <laughs> when they were talking about Darwin and she says evolution takes many forms. I thought that that was like an interesting, you know, that the army of the 12 monkeys, we don't quite know what it is yet, but their agenda is goes a lot deeper than just killing seven billion people. Well, um, Olivia in and of herself is a forced evolution. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, you're right. That line even refers to her. But and it can even refer to the cycles that we didn't even see that went on, right? Like because evolution is full of dead ends of right. creatures that went part of the way, but not to what we are now. And uh, right. I think that's a really, it's a really interesting nuanced line to have in there. But you know, right? Like I mean, you could you can read it so many ways, like all those ways, or. Um, humans evolving past like beyond their bodies, right? right? And just and not having to not having to die and having our consciousness survive. Um, yeah, there's a lot interesting to think about. Okay, so going back to the scene in the kitchenette, Cassie walks in, Cole's at the table, and in walks Foxy Jones in Foxy. her black leather pants, <laughs> <laughs> and I. I just I think first of all like this the acting between Barbara Sakawa and Aaron Stanford in the scene I love it because yes. it's like Jones is so like 
you know, so kind of like flirty and blasé, like maybe your always and my always aren't, are not the same. And it's so like, she just has this like such, it's Jones, but it's also a version of Jones that if you're, if you are Cole, you'd be like knocked on your ass by it <laughs> because yes. it's also so different. Um, but his, the way he plays it, like his face, he's so happy to see her, right? Like he's really, really sick. He's like on, death's door and when he walks in it just like made me think of like all the like cole and jones feels later on of i had two mothers because like you can tell how much he cares about her Mm -hmm. right like just his reaction to seeing her i mean he comes like we'll get to his realization in a moment as to like what it means for like what she's known all along but just his like kind of wonder and awe of seeing her from so many years before I don't think you can kind of feel that way unless you also like care about someone. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I just for think, sure. You know, like he just has it's it'd be like seeing, you know, like when you look at a photograph of like your parents or grandparents when they were young. And I don't even mean it like no, knowing that it is his grandmother, but I just mean like somebody you care about and then you see a picture of them when they're really young. Like it's that kind of reaction to it. Um, well, Ramsey has betrayed him. So the people that he has, the two women in his life are Cassie and Jones. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to go deep in the feels, like, you've got Cole, grown-up Cole, who is, like, abandoned, and the the one, right, like, the one brother he's had who's been his constant since, you know, the end of the episode when he meets him has been Ramsey. Now, like, adult Cole, he's holding on to dear life with Jones and Cassie, and they're the ones that save him. But you also have young Cole, who thinks that he was alone that moment that his father was killed. But his mother was watching from afar, and he was comforted that night by his grandmother. Yeah, and the cycle with Ramsey starts. Right, like like Cole, who was Cole, who was who always thought that he was alone. The day that his father died, he actually was like surrounded by some of the people that love him most in the world. He just didn't know it. Right, like I'm he like didn't pulling know. up my blanket actively <laughs> in your blanket fort. I'm in my blanket fort. <laughs> um, I, I thought what was absolutely adorable, though, is and whatever. We're not there yet. It's still true. The way that um that Cassie looked at little Cole. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, we're gonna. <laughs> she get just that. cherished him so hard. She did the way I she know. grabs him, and it's just like. You know, because I, it's such a unique moment. Like, how many times are you going to have your life partner in a show or have to even portray your life partner who becomes your life partner, like holding you and protecting you as a child? It's crazy. Right? Like, there's an innate, (laughs) like, literal, to the literal point of the word weirdness of it, Mm -hmm. of that moment, right? And yet, it's so tender. It's so, like, she wants to protect him and she protects little him. And I don't know, I could get deep into my like counseling bullshit about like protecting our younger selves and stuff, but it, it just really like, I don't know, it speaks to me, right? It speaks to a certain sort of intimacy of like seeing someone along their entire lifeline. Yeah. And, I don't and they're know how to explain, like, I don't want this to sound weird because it's not gonna, like, it doesn't mean ugh, whatever. I'm just gonna say it. Go for it. Um, I feel like. That interaction helps her fall for him more. Yes, I agree. Because it's vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It, oh my God, well, I yeah. think she sees 
that this person he's been like pretending to be is not who he always was and it's not who he has to be like he's so sweet you know and his dad's like he's such a good boy and like you meet him you know and it's just i think that it it really opens up something for her it's so vulnerable like at the end when she sees him alone and she doesn't want to leave him i mean that's when she grabs cole's hand right like they've never held hands before um Absolutely. I mean, also, I just thought Amanda Shul added a lot of really small, like, you have the scene when she's taking child Cole's blood, and his hair gets in his eyes, and she moves the hair to the side. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the episode, the way, I mean, obviously, like, he's just finding out that his father died, but the way that they play that scene it almost kind of reminded me of the earlier scene when she's with Child Cole because she does the same thing where she's like comforting him, moves his hair off his forehead, off of his face. There's something about the way like Aaron Stanford's expression that seems almost like young, like not younger is not the right word, but like, I don't like he just more looks innocent. so more innocent. Yeah. And he just looks so destroyed. Like he's like looking to her for comfort. Do you know what I mean? Like there was something about the way that scene, like now on rewatch, watching that and then him with him, like the gesture she used and stuff. It was just some really like it was really subtle. Um, well, he's been broken, yeah. but also like made anew. So this is to me his point, like where he gets to decide who he wants to be. Yeah. Um. Oh my gosh, we were like totally, I love it. But like, just to go back really quickly to Cole meeting Jones, the other thing that is so fun about that scene is Cole figuring out basically like, holy shit, she knew all along. And like, that would be such a mind fuck. (laughs) Like, right? I mean, if you think back to him, how many times she like threw him in a cell, was trying to convince him, like thinking back to all of those flashbacks that we've gotten and that she knew all along that he, not only that like, that she knew him from before, but she's met Dr. Rayleigh, Yeah, right? Like, like when he's looking at that picture and she's like, don't focus on these people. Like, she's fucking met that person, right? Yeah. And when she was like teasing him be or like basically being like, don't get emotionally involved or like all of this stuff. Like, she she observed all of this in person. And like what must be going on in his head in that moment is just must be like crazy. Which adds <laughs> such another layer to the Cassie Jones relationship, right? Where she's like, don't focus on these people. And he's like, but What? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> You've right. met her. Y'all like did a whole like joint mission together. <laughs> right. Like you had a road trip. <laughs> right. You had a road trip. Um Do you think I- she feels like his connection to Cassie will jeopardize the mission, not in the sense that like he's distracted, but in the sense that if he puts down too many roots, he's less likely to go through with it? I think oh, like, that's to- part of it, yeah. She also thinks, I think this Jones, based on what she says to him at the foster home and and the way she's behaving in 2043 at the beginning of the episode, this Jones thinks that her, like, that's closing the chapter on Cole. Like, Mr. Cole is just a memory now. Like, he is, the paradox destroyed his ability to come back. Um, so yeah, it is, it is interesting because we learned, like, when, when, Jones and Cassie are talking in the kitchen and Jones is trying to get like, um, Cassie's the one that tells her, well, you sent him because of a recording. 
which then is kind of like the like chicken and an egg thing because maybe that's that's probably why Jones even searched for the recording in the first place, right? Yeah. Is because mm-hmm. Cassie told her about it in 2015. Um, so it's just kind of like it is interesting to think about like Jones is in some ways resistant towards that personal connection, but on the other hand, she obviously needs it because that's what's going to get her to 2015 to save him and find out about the recording in the first place. In a lot of ways, it motivates Cole. It doesn't like demotivate him. It motivates him. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a, when we get to like the awesome, like shipper moment of Cassie, like taking care of Cole, like on the yes. bed and she's all doctor and like poor Aaron is watching all of it. Um, there one interesting exchange, both thematically, but also setting up the, the season one finale, um, is the Cole saying it's fate and Cassie saying there's no such thing as fate. Um, which is what Cole is basically like that closing shot with Olivia saying there's no – what is it? There's no force stronger than fate and mm-hmm. Cole deciding to to um, save Ramsey. Which is um, the first time that they break fate in a good way, meaning they make positive changes and yet it destroys almost every relationship <laughs> on the show in the process. No good <laughs> deed on this show goes unpunished. <laughs> Um, all right. I just want to sit back and let the two of you talk about the Jennifer hostile takeover scene. Oh, it's glorious. <laughs> what is there even to say besides that, though? Like, I just want to repeat what she said and call it a day. She's just so good. Like, I have such an appreciation for Emily Hampshire's acting. Like, she is full throttle all the time. You know what I mean? Like, I was yeah. rewatching it this uh, before we came on. And just, just the way she just gets on that table, she walks down, like, her head head toss, her hair toss, her eye movements, you know, just the way she is, oh, and the way she snaps at her assistant, and she's like, no, 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 uncaged. <laughs> yeah. The way she even, I don't even, I the whole time I was like, how did she not slip in those stilettos? Impressive. <laughs> right on that coffee table, like, oh my God, conference table, oh my God. <laughs> also, can we just, this is like the first time, this is like Jennifer Glam, like makeover. And that, I, I don't know where that like little like jumper with the guns all over it came from with like the red tie but it's amazing amazing (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh um she just walks in though she walks in this is a different jennifer than we've ever seen before okay up to this point she walks in with this just like out of control confidence Mm -hmm. but anchored underneath that is like her brand of crazy like, yes just like signature crazy that's driving that whole move well yeah but i mean the other thing is as much as this is a fun like fist pumping moment right and it's so much fun but the thing that's kind of disturbing underneath it is that this is a jennifer that's taking all of these actions at olivia's behest right Mm-hmm. That's going to lead to what we see Jennifer's like actually up to in this in the finale. Um, right. So it's awesome, but it, there is a little bit like it, it is, and it's it's obviously like a big moment for her character to like walk into her father's boardroom, right, and take over that company. That's awesome. 
But she's not there yet. Because, like, what she's drawing that, like, confidence from, it's not a good thing. Is the crazy bitch who's been brushing her hair. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I love having my hair brushed. I would be so susceptible. <laughs> right? And her hair looked good. So did. Olivia did a great job. I think, um, <laughs> you know, and going back to Jennifer's journey, just, like, you know, but you see that confidence in older Jennifer. You even see it in the Jennifer in the finale epilogues, right? Like, um, just this kind of like, and I, and I love that we've kind of gotten there where like the quote unquote crazy exuberance or mania or whatever, you know, term you want to apply to it is like, this is showing it as like confidence. And that's part of the, that's part of her journey is to like incorporate all of these different potentials that she has. And she becomes someone that's really holistic with it, right? Like that can command a tribe of daughters that can, um, you know, do de glaca. Like that takes some stones to like play pink in front of a, a bunch of Nazis. And I think that they just do such a good job of like showing all of these aspects of her, even, even the ones where she is because she wants connection and she wants love and she wants love from a parent so much that she's willing to like put that in service to maybe something that's not actually helpful or harm or is actively harmful. But the interesting thing, thing that you see about that as they show old Jennifer, like you say, like the context of her entire arc is that, I mean, Jennifer's always got her crazier, right? And it's part of the reason that I love her. That doesn't go away. But when she gains her true confidence and understands who she is, she exudes that through calmness instead of over the top, like craziness when she's much older. Like when she gains true confidence, she's much more muted. Yeah. She's grounded. Yeah. She doesn't need to like prove anything to you. She just does. She doesn't have to show that she can lead. She just leads. Right. Which if you look conversely over, you know, when young Jennifer is like trying to take over the daughters when old <laughs> Jennifer dies, like she's the hottest of messes because she she has no confidence and no identity at that point in her life. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, if you think about it, Cassie, Cassie putting on like that false bravado with the gun with with Jones or Jennifer like going in. <clears throat> like so over the top, right? That it's almost like a performance um, in the conference room. Both of them are both going to have like the confidence and like the guts to do all of those things later on. But right mm-hmm. now, for both of them, it's a little bit of something that they're like having to put on yeah. to like that's a right. Great that's not coming natural to them, but they're like, oh, right? Like I can almost kind of picture both of them psyching themselves up, like Jennifer being like all right, now I got to go in and do this, right? Or like Cassie being like, all right, now I got to like take this toy gun and wave well, it in Jones' face. I don't think it's even just a performance. I think they're trying on identities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, is this who I am? Is this who I'm going to be? Can I be this person? Should I be this person? Like, it's a whole, you know, it's not just that one instance so much as it's like, this is a test run. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's great, you know, it's great to notice though that they link them in that way. Because, you know, Jennifer and Cassie, for as for kind of as like fraught as Cassie and uh, Jones are, you know Jennifer and Cassie have a really hard one intimacy with each other, and I don't know. It made me feel some sort of way, Tina, that you just like or Cece that you just linked them, uh, their parallel like story through this episode. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I think they're going to – they find common ground in some, like, really quiet and, like, wonderful scenes um, throughout yeah, the show. Yeah, because call back and forward. I love when they just, like, hate each other. Yes. <laughs> so happy. <laughs> well, you know, my favorite thing that, like, a sophisticated TV show can do is to take two women who, like, loathe each other because it seems like they kind of both have feelings for a guy – and then totally turn on its head and not have it be that at all. Yeah. <laughs> and have them be become really good friends. <laughs> it's like my favorite thing. So that brings us to uh, Jones and Cassie scenes. We talked a little bit about sort of the important plot elements that we learn about the recording when Cassie and Jones are talking in the kitchen. Um, what I think is interesting, we talked a little bit about before, but I find that for two women who just met – they are remarkably frank and like perceptive with each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're in the kitchen and, and Jones delivers the news that Cole's going to die. She not only observes Cassie's reaction, but she actually has the balls to like talk to her about it <laughs> for somebody that she just met. Um, and obviously like the show's using Jones, like they use Jones to comment on observing Coles's feelings about Cassie when he thought she was dead a few episodes ago um, after the Nightroom episode. And now they're using Jones to comment on Cassie's feelings that she's not articulating out loud, but obviously she's pretty darn upset um, that Cole is not in good shape. Um, where she says, you know, he's not just a friend, he means much more to you. Um, that the line that I love, um, this episode actually has two lines where they use sort of repeated dialogue to link characters through time. Um, and so the first is the line from the pilot that Cole originally said to Cassie, Mother Nature doesn't like it when you rearrange the furniture. And the like Cassie's face when Jones says it, um, but this time she's referring to Cole's deteriorating health condition. It's just so priceless, as is her su- like crazy annoyance at Jones smoking in her house. <laughs> so annoying. <laughs> like, doesn't even ask, just lighting a cigarette in her house, and she's, like, trying to, like, wave the smoke away while she's trying to talk to her about it. Um, that mess makes me so mad. Like, real life, that makes me mad. Yeah, it's, like... Don't do that. Like, I ask, but also don't do that. <laughs> and it's... <laughs> right, and this isn't, like... It's, like, 2015. Like, people would ask. <laughs> it's before they smoked in your Except house. Except for Jones. Right. Not Jones. No, no Jones. <laughs> um, so, their car scene... I thought it was interesting, both getting back at to like what we're starting to notice about what's changing with Cassie, that she has that kind of like stone cold face when she's Jones is like, are you su- like, wait, do you have like a real gun? Are you like actually going to kidnap a kid? And and Cassie's just basically like, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes, um, which is definitely not the Cassie of the pilot who would right. go around kidnapping kids. Um, but you also have the scene. I mean, you have the moment where they have to pull over and Jones throws up because she's has morning sickness from being pregnant. And I think it's really like she's just really, really honest. Number one, telling her that she's pregnant. Number two, that she's going to get an abortion. Number three, her feelings about her husband. Like, it's really kind of raw, like, the writing. Like, I just want to – what does she say? Like, cut everything out of 
like everything yeah. about him from me, like, right. Cut it all out, which is also so like, man, you just want to do like professionally. She's not doing that at all. Right. But because she's still working on like at Raritan where he was. Right. And like their shared project, but like, um, but that she wants to make that choice and that and now, you know, when she says, you know, he left me, we are married, like, and now I'm pregnant and he like left me. That is not an accurate. We later learn in season four that that is that may be that's not quite how it went down between the two of them. Um, but I don't know about you guys when it cuts from her in the car looking out the window after saying that she's not going to go through with the pregnancy and it cuts to her in 2043 cradling the blanket it's just like devastating i don't think that was in this episode yeah she does yeah no 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 it's not it's not in there it is (laughs) didn't happen nope (laughs) yes it oh Meaning you just don't want to talk about it. Well, <laughs> Got it. Yep, that didn't, <laughs> definitely didn't happen. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> There's, it's just, it's I just, love how long that took. Oh, uh, I was like, that wait, was the best. I, I just watched this beep. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but oh, her acting in that scene makes my chest hurt. Right? Like, she's just smelling the blanket and then just, like, pressing against her face. Like, oh, my God. It just, like, breaks my heart in, like, a million pieces. Um, And that – just the way they cut from that conversation to that is just, like, wow. You know what's really interesting? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) More things that didn't happen? (laughs) I was just thinking about like kind of like idly thinking about um you know Cassie is the one who's in the car with Hannah uh, not Hannah with Jones when she's like telling her about Hannah and she's being like really frank about like you know she's nascently pregnant she's very early stages and she's so Cassie must have been like one of the first people that she told or maybe the only person that she told but then it's like in Lullaby it's Cassie who gives Hannah, like almost like midwife's Hannah to her mother in a way, like saves her and gives her back. I mean, gives her to Jennifer, right? And then Jennifer raises her. Yeah, because Cole can't save Hannah. Like, I mean, he has no skills to be. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm just like talking about like on the the woman to woman front of like I just am thinking about in Lullaby when uh, it's Cassie who carries Hannah out, right? Of Spearhead. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean, though. Like, even though Cole is there, like, it all comes down to Jones and Cassie. Like, just right. like they were in this conversation. Like, in the end, they have this very frank relationship. But in the end, it's like, who, you know, it's like you can tell a stranger anything. And Jones is treating Cassie like a stranger. And she's like, well, guess what, person I'm never going to see again? I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I'm going to have an abortion and I don't give a fuck. And yeah, then, because she doesn't know she's ever going to see Cassie again. Right, exactly. So this it's a stranger. This is where we have blind Jones after this. Right. And then it turns out to be Cassie who is like, in a way, I mean, does save her child and... I don't know. Oh it's just God. giving me a lot of feels right now where I'm like connecting paradox and lullaby. Can I can I can I bring it one step further? Yeah, go for it. So then in the season three finale, it's going to be Cassie and Jones facing off. Uh, and it 
it's Jones who gets Ethan kind of killed. And it's Jones ah! who has a gun on Ethan. And Cassie turns the gun on Hannah. And it's mother versus mother. Oh, my God. What the fuck? And they're all related. <laughs> Oh my god, right? We're like freaking out about, we're freaking out about Paradox, but like that season three finale when they're all in the house and it's like grandmother, daughter, grandson, and mother, and, oh, and great grandson and mother. Oh my god. That's fine. <laughs> uh, you're right. Like, yeah, God, I hadn't even brought in the like, God, you just like dropped the like lullaby hammer that like it's the two of them in the car. Uh, I mean, this sets it up, right? Why it's so meaningful that it's Cassie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other thing that, like, if you step back and think about this episode, you have, right at this moment, Jones is certain that she is not going to continue with this pregnancy. And by the end of it, like, there's something about her experience with, I mean, we can talk about, like, what you guys think it is, but it's maybe seeing Matthew with Cole or being with young Cole, maybe on the night that he lost his father. Like there's some, there's something about this day and interacting with all of these people that it turns out are her, is her grandson and the mother of her great grandson and the father of her, like, right. I mean, the basically her son, like not son-in-law, but like Hannah's husband or Hannah's, partner that she had a son with um all of these things culminate with jones deciding to keep the baby and have hannah right like so it's this what's going on in the background in or like what's going on in jones's head throughout the whole episode is she she moves from a point of going to have an abortion to deciding to what does she say at the end like i've decided that my father's right um, and basically, like, giving love a chance and deciding to have Hannah. But it's Here's these- an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. I'm not saying this is correct. I just want to, you know, cor- cause problems. <laughs> <laughs> when she met – because I think part of Jones's fear, right, is that she's alone. So yeah. it's not just, like, you know, a kid, which, I mean, she's not generally a, – a very, you know, maternal person in general. But – it's so it's not just having the kid alone, although I can see where she, you know, when she said she wanted to get rid of all the parts of Elliot because she feels very, very rejected, you know, by, by him and by that. Um, but the interesting thing is Hannah leaving set up the relationship between Matthew and James that Jones sees, which I think is a huge part of why she decides to have Hannah to begin with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think she sees like an intense bond right yeah yeah mm-hmm. he's by himself but he's willing to protect him over anything and he loves him and he wants you know he wants what's best for his son and i think like you said based on to the conversation she she had with her father like jones's experience of love like i think she just saw it outside of like her petri dish lab thought process she saw how much these people care about each other right and i mean it jones- kind of opened up something in her like Jones is forty. If you think about like Jones made an appointment to have an abortion, and then like her next forty eight hours is seeing her father, having her father talk to her about giving like love a chance, and then it's this crazy intense 
like experience with these people that she's never met, but she realizes that later on she's going to have a relationship with and like watching a father and son and watching the son lose that father. Right. And like play, like culminating with like placing that child, like being with that child. Like, I mean, that's the thing that like we, we never see, but Cassie leaves like little Cole with Jones the night that his father died. Right. Like it's, can you imagine being alone with a child that you had just met who just lost his father? Like Jesus. Mm. So it's just that like this 48 hours is like what is the reason why Hannah like it's it makes my head hurt. It's, <laughs> it's why they're all here, right? It's fine. Like, she was watching. No worries. God. <laughs> Jesus be. Um okay. That brings us to the end of the scene when she is clutching the blanket and opening the music. She opens a box and she takes out the business card for the garage in Philly, which takes us to cuts to the garage in 2015. And this is the garage that Cole and Ramsey will come back to in the finale to get Matthew Cole's car that has the ring in the glove compartment and all of that. This is that garage. Um, and we'll hear about that failed proposal later in the episode. Um, but we, it's our first introduction to Matthew Cole, who will pop up again in the season three finale. Um, and then obviously in one minute more. Um, and it's just listening now to all that Matthew says about like, see, first of all, just seeing how suspicious he is and how he pretends that he is not Matthew Cole. Um, but then later when Cassie mentions Army of the Twelve Monkeys and he's like, did Marion send you? Um, it's just crazy now to think that these are all warnings from Hannah, <laughs> who knew exactly <laughs> what she was talking about, right? Like, this – it all, like, seemed a little bit – like, it made you kind of wonder, like, what – it was definitely, like, got your antennas up. But now – Everything that Matthew says, whether it's in this scene or later when he's talking to adult Cole, I now have like the movie of One Minute More playing in my head, <laughs> right? Like of all of the Hannah and Matthew scenes. Um, so it's just sort of like incredible to listen to like his version of what happened. Like, and it's only right. They say that Cole's five, although he. Yeah, I'm just assuming he hadn't had a birthday yet. Right. So. But I mean, you know, for Matthew, this is all really fresh. Like, right? Like he met Hannah like six years ago and he's had Cole for like five years. So mm-hmm. Yep. And you know what's sad? Let's let's throw a little bit of terrible on top of this. Like Matthew has no idea how much Hannah loved him. Yeah. I was just really mean. <laughs> <laughs> No, like he really doesn't. Um, and the way he talks about himself, you know, like I wasn't much of a man, like till you, like what he says later on, like I wasn't much of a man until you came into my life. Like he's just like he's such a decent, good man, but obviously doesn't think a lot of himself, right? Like yeah. before becoming a father. Um, but yet he just with constant crazy loop after crazy thing thrown at him in this episode and emotionally, like, he just rises to the occasion again and again and again, you know? Like, um, but so we talked about, we talked about when, you know, the genius of Jones hearing the swing and they walk out back and Cassie comes face to face with child Cole. So you have Cassie go to the back and they find little Cole and we talked about, like, just how amazingly Amanda Schull plays that. But then you have, 
you have the scene. So, like, let's get this straight. They're all in the garage. You have you have Jones, who has Hannah in utero. And then Hannah's son, young Cole, is standing there with his father, Matthew, and his future life partner, who's the mother of Matthew's grandson and Jones's great-grandson, all in a room together. Did I get that right? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> and moving on. Oh, my God. Um, so just if we want the second line that ties characters together, like, over time, although we won't know it. I mean, it ties it ties young Cole with his father to adult Cole with his father is the expression, the only failure is giving up. But what we will find out um, in, I believe it's Legacy, right? It's the um, Old West episode with Elliot. That, well, that, and then we find out then in one minute more that the expression, the only failure um, is giving up, actually came from Elliot Jones to Hannah. Um, and then in a Hannah- way that has much more flair. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. Like you've got the Jones family and then you've got the Cole family and they all put their like, <laughs> right, their spin on it. It all makes sense for like each of those branches of the family. Um, but then you have Hannah said that to Matthew, um, when they were repairing the car, right? Yep. Um, and so even this expression that is like the signature Cole family expression actually goes all the way back to Elliot, um, who's referred to um, a couple times in this episode. Wait, it's like uh, you said, there's no part of this episode that one minute more doesn't touch and make more profound. Yeah. Like when you watch it the first – I mean, they yeah. call back to it constantly. Yeah. When you watch it the first time, it's like, oh, it's mainly to me about like – uh, Kid Cole and Matthew and Matthew dying and Cassie and Cole. You know what I mean? Like the relationships mm-hmm. are a lot more discreet. Mm-hmm. But with the context of one minute more, it's like every frame is like a gut punch, right? Yes. Where you're just like, damn, there's so much going on here that no one even knows. Yeah. Is it a hope punch? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> <a> hope punch? <laughs> no, then it's just like a beeps feels drop punch where you're just like, God damn it. <laughs> I think Hope Punch needs to be the title of this pod episode. <laughs> Got it. I know someone who can make that happen. <laughs> um, you're right. Like, and I'm actually like, I can't believe I didn't like the as Beep calls me sadomasochist. I should have made us all watch one minute more, but I guess it's just like so <laughs> you fresh. You can't make me do it. <laughs> no, I would never try. I would never try. But like, pleasantly suggest. Um, <laughs> but. So that takes us to – oh, no, wait. Oh, no, no, no. The, uh, here's another feels. Ready? I'm going to do my best to throw a feels grenade. So when Cassie's trying to convince Matthew to come and help his son, she says to him, look into his eyes, and if you don't see your son, then you can go, which made me think of Cole coming face-to-face with child Ethan. Oh, uh, damn it. Yeah, and he couldn't shoot him. And he says, I looked into his eyes. Uh, and not only is it the same actor, <laughs> <laughs> same literal set of eyes, but I mean, it's like this. Not only does it tie like Cole back to his father, right? And like both of them being in these out of like crazy scenarios where they are being put face to face with their sons in 
insane circumstances and not having a relationship, right, with like either son. But it's that moment of looking at your child in in the eye and knowing that it's them and recognizing your son. And it just like it not only ties the two of them together, but also kind of like is there something like universal there about like fathers and sons? Um, and it's just beautiful and makes my heart hurt. Um. Well, it's kind of like the end of when Cassie and her mom are talking, right? And at the end of it, um, do, do we get a name for Cassie's mom? Doctor Rayleigh. I'm gonna go with Doctor Rayleigh. <laughs> and she looks at Cassie and she goes, "Do I know you? You know? Yeah, you're right. Uh, right." Yeah, because she's not in a position to know that that's remotely possible, right? Like right, and be but like, she's still oh, are you like my adult there's daughter, yeah. <laughs> right? But there's just something. No, familiar. that's what I mean, though. Like I'm saying, yeah. you're absolutely right. It's not going to go any further than that in the case where they were speaking, right? Right. But it still is that like flash of recognition. Yep. And how? Oh God, I can't start talking about that episode. Let's move on. <laughs> I'll just be like, and how she recognized, like, Ethan. <laughs> so, well, when you come back for that episode yes. in a year and a half, then I'll just, like, have a better mic and then also, like, mute myself as I, like, roll on my bed. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, just bringing it forward to then when Matthew and Adult Cole come face to face. Um, one of the things, I mean, just grounded sort of in what's going on with these characters in this episode, once you've watched the whole episode and you realize what those visions slash memories that Cole was having from before, you've got Cole waking up and he's like, from his point of view, he's having his father in front of him. It is the same, like his father is exactly the same because this is the day his father died. Mm-hmm. It's like literally seeing a ghost. Yeah. Because it's exact, it's his father exactly as he remembers him. Oh, God. And like what he must be feeling like in that moment, you know, as now a 30 something year old adult and you have your father exactly as you, you know, I don't know really at five how well he could remember him, but like as best as he could, that's exact image of his father. And right. I don't know if at that point, I don't think Cole has put it together, right? That this is the day that his father dies. I think like at this moment, right? Mm-hmm. Even though he knows at the end of the episode, like what's happened. I think he's like right. put it together. Um, but then like- They even again- make a comment a couple times. I mean, I think it's just assumed that he dies during the play. He even asks that, like, are you sure it gets me? And it's not like Cole is like, you know, he doesn't, it's not like he's just hiding it from him. Like, I don't right. think he remembers. Right. Because he's five, right? Like a five-year-old probably, I mean. I don't know, he, though. That confused me a little bit because, I mean, that's so traumatic. Like, or maybe they told, right. Like he, not to, but yeah, they might have just told him something else. They might have just told Matthew. They don't get into that, but maybe they just told Matthew that's how you die because you can't fuck up the causality. But if if the, if that's what happened, like that all obviously that all happens off screen. No, but I mean, as far as like James not remembering, like to me that just seems so traumatic. That I, well, I guess that goes one of two ways. It's either so traumatic you can't forget it, or so traumatic you can't remember. Right. I don't know. What do you think, Megan? You're the almost professional here. I'm the almost professional here. Yeah, you're in school for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm two years away from being a professional here. Um, yeah, I think he – I kind of think he doesn't know or doesn't yeah. realize maybe. 
and right. has kind of pushed it. Maybe so even it's not strictly like a forgetting so much as it just like necessarily not realizing. Like never understanding fully. Mm-hmm. And I think too, like what happens, like whatever happened to Cole in that moment is super traumatic. You can definitely, you know, repress or dissociate sure. those memories or um or not really realize their context. Like context of what happens when you're a kid is a lot different than context when you're an adult. Mm-hmm. Which is why memories can, you know, it's why memory and eyewitness memory, quote unquote, is very kind of like a poor yeah. evidence thing. Yep. Because even in adults, people can really have their memories fucked with. But kids who are like trying to make sense of something that they don't have a any experience for, it can be very out of place or, you know, twisted well, into something else or subsumed in our- into something else. In our Cole's timeline, the plague happens, like, right after this. Right. So it would be very easy to get it all kind of blurred together, too. Right. Right. Because can you imagine, like, your dad dies and then your world dies. Like, so not only do you have the metaphor of your world dying by your dad dying. Yeah. The actual world world dies. dies. Right. And then you have – it brings me – it makes me think of the quote from Jones at the beginning of the episode that's when she said memories are just – neurons firing in our brain Ugh. and the human mind giving them meaning right i like i have i was like i could have some therapists throw down on that line mm-hmm. <laughs> well that line i feel like is always what um when people are arguing in favor of like those types of al- like any alternative reality where you give up your like corporal form right right and it's your con- just your consciousness like when they're basically like you know what it's really just electrical impulses anyway in your brain so mm-hmm. like what's the difference um, right like, like well that's just not how humans operate actually those electrical <laughs> impulses mean something and you make them mean something and society makes them mean something right so the other thing that is crazy is just like I feel like we just need to take stock of everyone in the room and how they're re- like. So yeah. you've got Cole talking to adult Cole talking to his father right. while they watch. Cole is watching his child self with Jones, but not the Jones he knows, <laughs> right? This current Jones who's pregnant with his mother. <laughs> Like, really, how sci-fi can you get? <laughs> while while we are about to hear the story of Cole's mother for the first time, and Jones is fucking pregnant with her in the next room. Ah, thank Jesus. So he gets into, and this is another, another, the other scene where it is the out everything he says is the outline for that like flashback beautifully like beautifully shot i thought like mini movie that plays while hannah is while cole reads hannah's letter to him mm-hmm. and you have him saying um her name is marion he loved her like crazy i asked her to marry me but she wouldn't um, which then immediately makes you think of the ring and then Cole proposing to Cassie, who's also at the house <laughs> with that ring. Um, and then that what I thought was like the really like that is just like masterful planning that they outlined that mystery and those very spare facts um, about Marion. And they ultimately are going to pay every single one of those off. Yep. Um, 
But like the genius of it is like, we're going to meet Hannah in the show, like two seasons before we realize that. <laughs> like, it's just crazy. Um, but what I thought was a really interesting character moment for Cole, and it kind of reminds me, like, you have Matthew say he's a good boy. And they're looking at child Cole at the table playing. And then Cole says, he won't always be, but I'm trying to make up for it. Hmm. Which first reminds me a little bit, like, obviously, it's like on a much smaller scale. But the show does have both with Cole later, but like with old Jennifer and young Jennifer, like people observing, like using time travel to allow characters to observe other versions of themselves mm-hmm. and then kind of take stock as to who they are um, in that moment. And for someone who has done the things that Cole has done and he's trying to make up for it and then to be looking at that young, innocent version of yourself before you lost your father and the world all fall apart, it's just like – it's probably, I think, like the best episode in season one in terms of like really kind of starting to understand James Cole Um and like his character development, like this and that that conversation with Cassie in the night room about forgiveness to me are kind of like the big signposts for me of like what his long-term character arc is going to be. Um, but then it calls back to the only failure is giving up. And I was just thinking about how as Cole's journey goes on, and particularly in season four, when Everybody else is faltering a little bit. Like Jones is losing hope. Cassie is like overwhelmed with like revenge, understandably, with losing Ethan. And he really is like the we're not giving up cheerleader in season four. Like yeah. he really takes that motto and like lives it out um, throughout season four where he's repeatedly cutting people off with their like doomsday speeches, right? Like in, in the finale when Joe's just like, oh, if I only hadn't invited invented time travel and he's like, we're not doing that speech right now. We're not giving up, right? And it happens in the season premiere for season four when they're like, there's no moves left. And he's like, nope, we're not giving up. Um, So it's just kind of fun thinking about how he's ultimately really going to live up to that jones slash cole family motto um and the cole that we see in season four did you have any other sort of uh either hearing the story of marion feels or just kind of that scene with adult matthew thoughts no okay um so if we think of Cassie and Matthew talking outside and we think of that long camera shot from across the street as hannah is watching them um I, you know, the one kind of takeaway for me is just like when Matthew finds out that he's going to die, it's such a, um, like selfless parent reaction. Like he's not like worried that he's going to die. What he's worried about is he's not going to be there for his son. Yeah. Um, if you guys don't think, I think that takes us to the actual, um, pallid man killing Matthew. Um, and I was thinking about, the way that this unfolds, the parallel between you've got pe- the pallid man killing Cole's father in an alley with a gun, and in after. It's so very Batman. Can I please just say that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like so very Bruce Wayne origin story. It really is. Oh, you're right. Like, we just needed, like, Jones wearing a pearl necklace <laughs> and having that, like, ripped Especially off. Especially, though, going. with, like, the milk inside, because every single time they show that origin story, there she's always drops, like, his mom drops roses. So, like, <gasps> even with the dropping oh. something, you know, and play, it's very, very Batman. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good point. 
Um, but then they're going to do it again because that's exact. The pallid man loses his father in after in mm-hmm. an alley with a, with um, Agent Gale gunning his father down in front of him. Agent um, Gale. So it's yeah. Agent Gale in the alley with a gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but Twelve I mean, Monkey's Clue would be amazing. It by would the way. be. Amazing. Someone needs to make that because you would have to do the year, not only the place. Ooh, so you have like a four prong variable. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I somebody was going to make Twelve Monkeys Cards Against Humanity. Which would be amazing. That would be fun. <laughs> so, but I just, I, I'm, I wonder if they did that. I wonder if that sort of that parallel was intentional that you have. I mean, that obviously that has it. That I was it has to me, be I, intentional. Well, the parallel is there, but I hadn't thought back. Like that hasn't actually. Oh, this is when time travel makes my brain hurt. Th- this yeah, version but it's so rewarding when you figure it out. I know, but this <laughs> way, so this version of the pallid man that hasn't happened yet. This cycle, right? The pallid man has not lost his father, Shaw, because Agent Gale, who's working with Cole, right. shot him in the alley. That hasn't right. – like, this version of the pallid man did not lose his father that way. Right. But well, – And then the cycle changed yet. completely in season two. Right. 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 But ultimately, yeah, that parallel is great. Um, it's kind of – but it also, like – uh, fathers like watching their sons be gunned down in front of them. It's just like awful. Um, so I love how all of this, like they have now been sowing the seeds of this, um, sequence for many episodes. I think we've been seeing these little glimpses of the drop of blood and Cassie's face sort of starts out really blurry, but increasingly you see it's Cassie's face coming at. Um, little coal and the glass of milk dropping and all of that. And now like all comes together in this like amazing, like slow motion, um, sequence where child coal drops the glass of milk. He sees her face. The drop of blood that we had seen all along falling on the floor is from the syringe being held by Jones. And then it all culminates with um, the pallid man shooting Matthew right in front of um, Child Cole, who's watching from the backseat of the car. Um, Hannah's watching all of this. That's so mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny to me at this point. <laughs> Feels I funny. Knew, I knew there would be a point in this podcast where we just started saying Hannah's watching all of this. I know. Like, <laughs> right? I mean, it kills me that Cole – the like what at that point one of the most horrible and like sad things that had ever happened to this little boy and he thinks he's all alone for his entire life and his mother was there yeah i mean it's just so intervene she can't introduce herself she can't intervene with matthew she just like can't really do anything but she made herself be there yeah to protect her son in the only way that she could uh, um, the small little moment that I really liked was when before Matthew walks out and Cole hands him the gun, the look he gives Cole, he kind of like looks him up and down and it's like this, whoa, like, who are you? <laughs> you know, like this, my, my son is, my son is the kind of person that just basically like hands me a gun and gives me a look, right? Like go go do what needs to be done. And that is not Matthew Cole, right? Like, um, No, he was not good at that. <laughs> he was- well, yeah, I mean, I like that. He shouldn't be, right? Like, you know, he's a mechanic raising, raising a five-year-old boy. Like, he shouldn't 
be like out in the alley like gunning people down with like superior mark- but, like, marksmanship. Get in the car. <laughs> Go. <laughs> well, but he does it on he does it on purpose. He stalls so that they can get away. Like he sacrifices himself. I think. No. I don't know. They're walking pretty slow. <laughs> <laughs> um so- I'm just picking because it's late and I don't want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to like you're building your wall against the like tears that are going to come with Anna. Right, yeah. um, so it's his go- fault. <laughs> <laughs> if I can blame them, I don't have to cry about it. Exactly. <laughs> so then it leads to the crazy, amazing sci-fi moment of Cole paradoxing himself and rising up into the sky like time Jesus. Like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think we just need to say time. T- I can't even do Texas accent like time that. Jesus, time Jesus, time Jesus. Um, <laughs> so, which you know, we've talked a lot about sort of like the Christ imagery, and we had a bunch of like religious stuff in the last episode. But it is, it is some crazy time Jesus imagery, um, and it's insane how it like blows out the front of the store. Which actually, I have a question because aren't Cole and Cassie going to sleep there that night? <laughs> With right. Shh. <laughs> with like the entire front of the store blown out anyway. the plywood or whatever <laughs> right. plot gloss plot gloss <laughs> um so it like i thought imagery wise like that's really cool but then you have got basically this like rebirth imagery with cole like lying naked on the floor almost kind of like in a fetal position right like it's just mm-hmm. a lot of like rebirth imagery and cassie coming up and then, like, we talked about it before, but just that, like, I thought very subtly but beautifully acted moment of learning that this is the day that his father died. Um, which- I never saw this before. Okay, so those were, like, recovered memories at this point is my, my like, guess. But I never noticed this before. But when he's laying and they get him up, I know it's just the center of the blast, but it reminds me of Jennifer's, like, monkey scribbles. Yeah. Oh, it looks like the demon on the floor. Yeah. yeah. It does. Oh, that's a good point, Beep. Yeah. Um, and there's just so much, like, life or, like, birth, death kind of subtext in this episode. It's really, I don't know, it's just kind of interesting to think about. Right. Like, he loses his father and Jones decides to have a daughter. Right. And he gets reborn. So it's kind of like all three stages of Messiah, (laughs) sort of. Right. But also- Mother Mary is conceived and, I don't know, Joseph dies and Jesus is uh, reborn. (laughs) Yeah. It's also, though, for Cole in that moment, like, he just got the father from his childhood back. Mm -hmm. Now his father's dead. And now he understands that the reason why his father died is because of him Mm -hmm. and and the army of the 12 monkeys and all of this plot. Well, I was going to make a sarcastic comment that it was like Do a Christmas it. miracle. And then you just totally deflated that. So you see, <laughs> oh no, I was like, it's a Christmas miracle. And then you were like, think no. of all the death and torture. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I just like miracle on 34th. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we had the baby Jesus. <laughs> we had mother and- Mary. And then soul-crushing loss. <laughs> and then we had Pontius Pilate. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know if you would feel partly – I mean, you know, we're going to go right into the 
in the season finale when he's like beating the crap out of Aaron and you see the anger on his face and he realizes it was Aaron. But I mean, it's also partly like the fact that Cole can come out of finding out that he lost his father and was an orphan through the plague and everything in his life, right? Like maybe he would have lost his father anyway, but like he actually, like his father died because of what Aaron did, because of the army of 12 monkeys, because of ultimately like the mission that he's fighting and still come out at the end of season one, finding it within himself to save Ramsey and being as hopeful and positive as he is at the beginning of season two is like quite a feat. Because I think in this moment, he could have easily, like, gone down a different, darker path, right? Like, mm-hmm. losing your father and what that did to your life because of this. And you're coming to the realization that it was all connected. Yeah. Um, so, I think that takes us to – if you guys didn't have anything else, I think that takes us to the foster home where Hannah is also there. <laughs> well, I think – I guess my one thing I would say is that it's kind of like – uh, this is almost an episode that kind of encapsulates the idea of whenever you have a memory as a child and that memory is one way and say it's like, it's a memory where you're like, my parent sucked because they didn't get me this Christmas present. Right. And so mm-hmm. until you're in your twenties or thirties, you hold on to this, like this Christmas sucked. And because I didn't get this Christmas present because my mom didn't want me to have like, I don't know, a skateboard or whatever. But then, you know, when you're older, you find out that it's because, you know, your other parent lost their job or, you know, something bad had happened and it had thrown a wrench into this memory. And so you remember it one way, but it was really something else. And then when you learn that information, it recontextualizes everything. Plus, you're an adult, right? You've had more experience. You know, things are not so binary, so black and white, so whatever. And it's kind of like... um an episode that plays with that a lot, right? Like you're getting older people or especially with Cole watching his younger self mm-hmm. and recontextualizing those memories, which were probably very traumatic and very disconnected into a more sin- like into a whole, like synthesizing them into a whole with the complete context of what he knows in season one, which isn't really even the complete context you know, because then we have more that comes out in season four. Mm-hmm. But how they play with like time and memory here is really interesting because it's not just neurons, right? It's something that is always dynamic and it's always changing. And that's true for us. And that's true in the show. Like it's one way to child Cole and to Cassie and to Jones. And it's another way uh, and during paradox. And then it's another way during one minute more. It right. becomes something else again. And even in the way they presented it to us, right? So right. the the way all of the memories that the audience was teased with um, were from Child Cole's perspective. Right. So everything that – we didn't know what the images were, but as we're leading into – seeing how it actually all went down, the only pieces we have are the same pieces that Cole had in his head as a child. Yeah. And then we get to see what really happened, like the audience is in the same position as Cole. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's almost like they not only do they do that, but then they also put the audience in the position of doing that because all we had the, were those pieces of those memories. And now we understand like what really happened. But then we're going to understand – so much more exactly. <laughs> later on, right? Like Cole thinks, like even here, like Cole thinks all these 
didn't understand how his father died um, or the day that his father died. He also is going to spend his whole life thinking that his mother like didn't care about him and abandoned him. And that also is not true. Right. Um, so, yeah, it is kind of like – obviously, it's crazy heightened because it's like a crazy time travel drama. But like there are a lot of things like that in real life where you don't uh, you don't have the full story about what your parents were going through or the why they made the choices that they made. And maybe you f- – Maybe you have more context for that as an adult. Yeah. yeah. Um, so at the foster home, we find out that um, Jones throws away her pack of cigarettes. Um, I think it's the only time we see Katerina Jones do that. And um, <laughs> <laughs> she's going to go to a lot of trouble to, like, you know, grow tobacco <laughs> in the post-apocalypse. So She'll earn her cigs. <laughs> yep. So she decides that she's going to – she says that she's – decided to love take her father's advice that love is never a mistake and she's make saying that decision out loud while that daughter is watching as an Mm. adult which is crazy um but then you know you have this like great moment where jones is like i'm a scientist dr Rayleigh. i don't believe in fate which um is really interesting when you think about jones like in 2043 Right? Even Uh, Jones approaching Cole, right? Yeah. Do you believe in fate, (laughs) Mr. Cole? Right, right? Like, don't – yeah. And then you have that amazing, awkward Cole and Jones hug. (laughs) Oh, it's so awkward in the very best way. (laughs) In the best way. Because it shows you how much their relationship has grown Mm -hmm. in in the future. You know what I mean? Like, it shows you – how much like he really cares for Jones. And I think at that point, how much she really cares for him, even if she isn't able to express it in the future. I mean, yeah, you know, and it just shows like, but right now she's, he's standing in front of a veritable stranger, you know, but it just, it exhibits how far they really come with each other already. I mean, if you, if you think about like the last, the last moment that Jones had with Cole was she had spent the night with him as a child, the night that he lost his father. She sees, like, where he gets dropped off and is spending his childhood, and she knows that, like, the plague is coming. That Cole, adult Cole, hugs her. And then three decades later, that's the Cole that she has to, like, play it cool with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> try and convince, you know, and obviously she's a different person, right? Like, she's been – like hardened and transformed by like the hardships that she has endured, but she has to like play it cool when she knows that this is the cold that like obviously cares about her and she saved his life and he she went through this like like seminal moment in his life and like now she like it's just crazy. And then when you think about how she softens towards him pretty quickly as opposed to other people. Mm-hmm. on the show, right? Even being physically affectionate to him. Like, when he came back from Cassie dying at the CDC and she, like, touches his face, like, she's affectionate with him much more quickly than she is with other characters on the show. Right. Um, and so now when you, like, think back to, like, because she's thought about these moments for decades, it just gives it, like, so much depth, you know? Like, this is just a Joan jo- – Jones had to hold – so much in and have such a game face with her. I love how flippant she is initially, though, when he's like, why didn't you tell me any of this? You're old. You know, and she's like, I'm sure I had my reasons. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
she already oh my knows herself enough to know that she's like, if I oh, did it, real. I must have had a good reason. So, oh my gosh, did you guys see there was someone watching on Twitter and they watched this episode and they were like, is it? They were like, gosh, you know, like 2015 Cole is, I mean, uh, Jones is kind of like flirty with Cole. Like, is it okay if I ship this? Oh my God. <laughs> And you, I could do, like, it's like, nobody say anything, nobody say anything, nobody say anything, but everyone please remember and, like, file that tweet away. <laughs> so, you like, can't just randomly ship people on time travel shows. Uh, it right? work. I mean, or you can. Or you can. <laughs> and it's just like Game of Thrones. And ship it's at your own risk, I guess. <laughs> it's just, you know, a... Um, 12 Monkeys kink meme is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing, too, if we like we mentioned before how they totally amp up. You've got like Cole and Cassie face touching, Cole and Cassie hand holding um, a lot of characters being like, what does he mean to you? And they are just ramping it up. They're like turning the dial up just enough because they're going to yank it all the way because <laughs> they're going to separate them at the end of the next episode and then they're going to be at odds for most of season two and it's just kind of like genius slow burn like kind of getting us where we think we're getting close and then they're just going to like take it all away <laughs> there's so much like innocence to their interactions in a way when you view it in the scope of the whole show here yeah. like the hand holding and the like it's basically the angst version of like, I like you, I like you back. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then it becomes so like, it just becomes so much worse. <laughs> you know, like, when, when the yeah. next time like he tries to hold her hand and she's like, it's the losing that hurts us. <laughs> well, we've got a lot of Cassie and Cole hand holding, right? Like That's true. she, she holds his hand here. When they're about to go, um, lined up in the firing squad on Lullaby, she grabs his hand. He grabs her hand a lullaby and she like reciprocates and then she pulls away. I really like how you have all of this like filed on like an index card and <laughs> under like Cassie Cole handholds. <laughs> you should see my file naming system for the gifts. <laughs> Also, because people create these like phenomenal gift sets where they're like, here's all the hand holdings. Oh, <laughs> and here's all like, here's, here's like a costume look for like each decade, right? Like, this is like the most gifable show ever. And Beep is doing her part to like fill the like tragic gap because there should be a lot more. Right? One of my like, favorites is, I guess it's in the next episode, is when he's sending her back and he's kind of like on top of her and the light's all golden and Cassie's all scared. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time on that next time. Yeah, the face touching. <laughs> the where face touching. I, the face touching where I was home and it, like with my husband and both of us and he'll never admit it, but he was like, we were both like, oh my god, they're going to kiss. Oh my god, they're going to kiss. And then they didn't. They didn't. <laughs> and he was saying too <laughs> because I'll pacing never admit it. because when they actually like have sex they're gonna have sex and people are gonna die <laughs> <laughs> right it can't be this is this is the end this hand holding outside the foster home is the end of the innocent sweet and casserole cute. Yeah. yeah it's the end of sweet casserole um do you guys have anything else I just love this episode. I think it can be teased apart in so many different ways and so many angles. I know. I just hope we did it justice because it's just... Uh, I mean, you could just take it from like, you can take it from the parent angle. You can take it from the like death, rebirth, pregnancy angle. You can take it from 
you know, the contextual, like how it changes. This is an episode that just changes the more you watch the show. And, but the meaning always is huge, right? Like this is like huge origin story for all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, It sets the table for Hannah. It sets the table for Marion and Matthew. And it sets the table for Cole. And it sets the table for the kind of, we get more of a depth of why Cassie and Jones are kind of the way they are. Yeah. It's just such a deep episode. With but and like yet yeah, all of that they accomplish all of that and yet there are so many quiet char- conversations between two characters. Right. The theme, the thematic work is great. You know, like yeah. you're having the fight between like oh it's just neurons and then you know no it's not like we're humans we make meaning this stuff means something and then they say that at the beginning of the episode and they give us a whole episode of like this really. Um, heavily like symbolic and metaphorical kind of stuff right like with time jesus and Mm -hmm. you know pregnancies and origin stories like it's stuff that is inherently meaningful yeah Mm, what an episode of tv yeah that's great um Megan, thank you so much. So yeah. fun. I'm so glad we got to like tease this apart with you. Thank and you're you. going to come back and do – oh, my God. It's like the even the episode title is like an emotional trigger. These Arms of Mine <laughs> you're going to do. <laughs> you know, that was my second most listened to song in 2018. And I started 12 Monkeys in August. <laughs> <laughs> On Spotify? Yes. Oh, that's so great. It was right behind Belly of the Deepest Love. <laughs> which if you know me you know that i'm a hoe for that song (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh i can't believe it closed the gap just between august and december to be number two it did oh man can it can it pull through in 2019 i mean probably let's be real All right. Well, if you guys don't have anything else, uh, Megan, we'll have you back to talk about. I, we, I can't believe we've gotten through season. We're about to get through season one. I know. Um, we'll be back to talk about the season one finale. Um, and until then, we'll see you soon. <laughs>